This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Was it like a little bit over or around a couple of weeks? So it was something that uh, I just needed to do a little, little time off to make sure it's uh, you know closer to 100, percent and uh, I'm I'm ready to play, and uh, I'm glad we we did that, and uh, hopefully now I'm uh, you know ready to go. Yeah, well, you know what he's he's there. Basically, mm -hmm. getting reps with the first power play units. Jan Ruta taking shifts on the penalty kill. These guys look like they're going to be ready to go tomorrow night against the Devils, which is a very good sign. Greg Linnelli with you, along with Dave Michigan, Steve Versnick's our producer. Nick Alberga will be joining us at 12.30. Hockey analyst does some fantasy hockey as well for NHL.com. And uh, always like having Nick on. And uh, anything else we want to discuss, mm -hmm. we will with you at Bolts Radio. But You ever get into that, Greg? Never. Fantasy hockey? No, I did it. A couple of times, just because the radio stations I was affiliated with at the time, you know, they have these deals set up where they like to have the on-air talents get involved and maybe kind of create like a league. You did hockey or a different sport? All of them. All okay. of them, you know, whichever season it was. But I, you know what? For me, it – I don't know how you guys felt it, if you ever did it, but it took away from watching the game because <laughs> mm. you were so intent on, hey, did my guy score? <laughs> Did my guy get seven? I need him to score. I need the defense to come up with an interception. And well, that, yeah, that's football, which is, yes. I think, the most popular sport for fantasy. But it took it took the enjoyment out of just watching the game mm -hmm. away. Now, some people love it, obviously, and it's a big part why the NFL is so popular. Nick's been able to carve out a nice little side gig for himself because yes. he, he covers hockey. I guess that's his his traditional job. But yes. he dabbles in the fantasy. Yeah. He's very knowledgeable about it. That's for is. sure. And you know what it does? It, it keeps you up to date on all the players. Yeah, for it sure. really does. Because you have to. I mean, now look, you could sit there and BS your way and pretend like you know this player and that player when you really haven't seen them play at all. You're just going off stats. And, you know, to a certain extent, I, I get that. But I, I, I'm always a little cautious when I hear people start talking about players that really don't have too much of a pedigree and, and oh you got to play this guy and and you know I'm, I'm always chuckling a little bit it's a little it's a gamble at, at times with your lineup and who you can play and who you don't but i i will say this it, it does keep you up to date on the latest and i think from that standpoint it's it, it can be positive and it's a lot of fun and look some of these guys play for big money too Dave. Mm -hmm. yeah funny. there's the betting component there's also Ooh. the competition component yeah. i did fantasy football years and years and years ago probably when i don't know if it was not as popular it definitely was not as popular then as it is now it was still i think reasonably popular but you know i had a roommate in the years that i was working in johnstown and he got me into it he worked at the local television station doing sports and so the tv station had a league so i was kind of linked in with with we had a team together yeah and and we were part of that league and i moved on then he moved on he went to another market in pennsylvania and we we kept it up for probably about eight or nine years and then i found that kind of what you were saying that first of all i wasn't having as much time to watch games and follow it and second of all it was taking away a little bit from the enjoyment of just watching yeah. 
games for game's sake. I've never done anything with hockey. I think that would almost be like difficult to process internally <laughs> because particularly, yeah, you know, if I were in the minors, maybe did it in the NHL, that'd be one thing, but I'm calling NHL games and that just, that would confuse yeah. me too much. Yeah. No, I think about sense. Well, you, thinking also, about how my team is doing or how my, my particular players might be doing. Well, so. and, and you have too much on your plate anyways to get. Yeah. I, I but once I, I stepped away, I've never looked back yeah. in terms of fantasy football, but I, I so, bet you, but a lot you know, of people get a lot of enjoyment from it. I and, was going to say, we're probably in the minority. Yeah. Of people that, don't really play it at all. Like I, I don't at all now, and I haven't for quite some time. But I, I would venture to say, if you were to pull ten sports fans, doesn't matter where they are or what sport they follow, I bet you they participate. I'd say eight or nine out of ten participate in some sort of fantasy mm-hmm. draft. Maybe, maybe that's too high. I just, I mean, everybody I know basically is involved in that. So. Whatever. I'm sure a lot of people have done pretty well. Yeah. With, There's uh, definitely a market for people like Nick who are, yeah. I'll call him an expert. I mean, he's certainly way more of an expert than I am about it. I know players, but I know players based on the job that I do. So I see them yeah. around right. the league, but I don't make it my business to like research the third line of the St. Louis Blues to determine if, you know, yeah. that's going to be particularly productive on a particular night. Nor do I want to do that. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and, and you know, the thing is, too, like just to bring it home to the Lightning, I, I, I'm sure over the last few years, people who have done fantasy hockey have done pretty well selecting Lightning players because you, you take a look at the points these guys put mm-hmm. up for sure whether it's Kucherov or Braden Points. I mean, Andre Vasilevsky and Nett, why wouldn't you have a guy like that as your starting goaltender who picks up wins after wins after wins pretty incredibly? And, you know, Victor Hedman on the back end. So uh, there's a lot to like there, I think, if you're a, uh, a fantasy guy when it comes to the Lightning picking up a bunch of their players. And yeah, maybe that's something we can ask Nick when we start talking about that just a bit. But the uh, line combinations today here, Dave, at uh, practice – And I I think it's probably what we thought it was going to be with Kucherov still being in protocol, Chernak still out, and, of course, Bogosian still out. That top line is going to be, at least at practice today, Palat, Point, Sorelli, Kalorn, Stamkos, Joseph, Maroon, Belmar, Perry, Kachuk, Colton, and Radish. I'd have to go back and look, but that sounds very similar to the lineup and the line combos the Lightning used in some games earlier this year. Yeah, and like you know, in the November range, there's a little bit of history there with Joseph Kalorn and Stamkos. Although I think we've mm-hmm. seen at times Joseph, it's hit or miss. I think when he gets an opportunity to play in a top yeah. six role, I think sometimes he looks really good, and I think sometimes he doesn't. But it, it's pretty clear too with these line combinations. And Dave, they can change at a moment's notice. We understand that that they really like the the Kachuk Colton Radish line. Yeah. And if they don't have to move that, they won't. I'm kind of thinking this this was the lineup or this was very similar to the lineup or this this was the lineup with the exact same line combinations in that window of the season before Point got hurt and also before they added Riley Nash on waivers, which I want to say was in early December, and Point got hurt in late November. Correct. I think we saw and, – and it was – maybe, maybe I'm threading the needle here because – Maroon, Perry, and Belmar were not together until maybe mid-November. 
So maybe it was a short time frame there. But certainly, Colton Kachuk and Radish has been a line for a good part of the year. The Belmar line has been a line for a good part of the year. And we've seen Point Palat Sorelli at yes. other points this year as well. Yes, we have. I, I want to get to Joseph for a second here, but I, I yeah, go ahead. I'm know. sorry. No, no, I, I just want to let people know you can join the Lightning and the USF Bulls today. It's going on right now, 11:30 to one o'clock for a free car wash at the Bubble Down. That's the North Nebraska location. So uh, if you want to go to get more details, go to tampabaylightning.com slash bubble down. I wonder if Phil will be yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> People that don't listen to the broadcast regularly <laughs> do not know that this is a read I do before the start of every second period. And when Phil is it. alongside, he gets so excited about bubble down car wash. He it's wants one time. near him. He wants to go there and get bubble gum, which... I don't know if they hand out bubble gum, but they probably should. That would be a great tie-in. I, I want to know when the last time Phil Esposito was in a uh, a line for a car wash. <laughs> yes. I, I just don't. See, I think Phil would be the type of guy that would be like, you know, take my car and do it for me. Or can you just personally wash my car in my driveway? Don't you enjoy being in the car, though, when you go through the car wash? I've always enjoyed that. I, you know who gets I probably don't kick. get my car washed as often as I should. Yeah. But when I do it, I wouldn't get out of the car. I would if it's one of those automatic ones. Check that out. Eleven thirty to one, and again, North Nebraska is the location, so you still have time to get down there as well. So, Greg, before we get to Nick at the bottom of the hour, yeah. this is going to be posted. Jacob Lynn, who is the gatekeeper of the Lightning website and app. Anytime I write anything, it goes to Jacob, and then he turns it from a very boring-looking pages document, basically, on my Mac. And he adds a little splash, he adds color, he adds pictures, he makes it look nice, he throws it on the website. So I wrote a column, and it is it is in the process of being transformed from Cinderella... with nothing to the beautiful article that will arrive at the ball. But Jacob is actually en route back to Tampa, which is another story. I'm not exactly certain why he made this trip, but I do know that he was in San Jose over the weekend, and he told me he stopped in your neck of the woods, Greg, and he was in Pittsburgh. I think he's flying back to Tampa from Pittsburgh today. Which is unrelated to this article, which is the reason why I brought it up. But yeah, it just occurred nice. to me that, yeah, cool. he told me he saw, I think the Penguins played last night, right? They played Arizona. The night before? No, they played Arizona. They played last night with Kessel. Yeah. Yes. With the... Fill the thrill. The Iron Man <laughs> race is on, I guess. Yes. So I guess he was at that game. Jacob. Gotcha. Anyway. Gotcha. So when Jacob gets back to Tampa, he will, he will post this article. But in this article, I I hit on three topics. One was, and I think we've touched on two of them. In fact, I know we've touched on two of them on our show, which is another reason why I like, one of the many reasons I like doing the show with you is we touch on topics. I'm like, hey, maybe this would make for a neat column. Not the post-game stuff, but, you know, I try and write a column every couple of weeks. So I wrote one topic about how the Lightning all of a sudden are playing all these lopsided games. So I looked it up. 33 games to start the year. 
The Lightning played all 13 of their overtime games, and they're still among the league leaders in overtime games played. There are some teams that have passed them. Remember, they yeah. were tied with Anaheim for, for a little bit there. But they haven't played an overtime game since the game that they had against the Rangers on New Year's Eve, game 33. So their 13 overtime games came in the first 33 games. They've played 17 one-goal games, which includes those 13 overtime games. All 17 of those one-goal games came in the first 33. They've played now 43 games. So in the last 10, not only have there been no overtime games, there haven't even been any one-goal games. And to the best of my knowledge, none of these games, best of my memory, I should say, none of these games have been one-goal games where the Lightning scored an empty netter to win by two. Now, the game against the Kings, they did score an empty netter, but that was a two-goal game became a three-goal game, and the Kings scored late yeah. to make it a one-goal game. So that, that was game 6-4, was, right? yeah. yeah, that game was not like a 3-2 empty netter to make it 4-2. Like, these games have not been particularly close. Or if they have been close, one team has pulled away in the third period. And I don't have a, an explanation for it. I mean, why is this happening? And not only that, of the 10 games the Lightning have played, since we turned the calendar to January, first of all, they've done well. They've gone seven and three. But only three of the ten games have been two-goal games. The other seven games have been three goals or more goal differential. So this is, I don't have a, an explanation for it, but it's a little counterintuitive. Usually when you get into kind of the meat of the season, and and as certainly as we turn the 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 halfway point and, and head to the second half, scores tend to be closer. At least that's kind of been my belief. At least when it comes to the Lightning, the opposite has been true. And I know you mentioned, I think Chief might have mentioned this to me too when we did the games together when the Lightning were out in California, that, you know, well, they got Point and Kucherov back. Okay, fair enough, and that's helped their offense, but they've also had some lopsided losses in there with so Point and Kucherov in mean, the lineup. And, you know, it's not like Point missed the entire first half. And they've had other guys out. We just talked about Palat being out and Chernak being out now that they didn't have – I mean, they didn't have their full lineup at the start of the year, but they still don't have their full lineup. So I don't have a, an explanation for it. My takeaway from that point, though, was the important thing is the Lightning are banking points. Whether the games have been close – Yeah, right, right. And they've gotten games to overtime and done fairly well in overtime – or now, when it seems like it's one way or the other, they've come out on top more often than not. The second point was, I'll just spell them out, and you can kind of give me your thoughts here. The second point was on the Yandel accomplishment, which we talked yeah. about yesterday and touched on yesterday. Incredible, amazing, congratulations to him. The third topic, and this is the one we haven't talked about on the air, but it's really interesting to me, and I actually enlisted the help of Brian Burns, who reached out to the league for some statistical data on it. We have talked about how much I like Minnesota this year, which I do. I think they're a good team. I feel like every time I'm, I'm paying attention to their games, though, they're scoring goals late with the goalie pulled to tie. Like they did it to the Lightning in the game at Amelie. They scored two sixth attacker goals to make a 4-2 deficit 4-4. The Lightning ended up winning in a shootout. 
And they had scored two sixth attacker goals the night before when they played the Panthers. They ended up losing that game because they allowed an empty netter in between the two sixth attacker goals that they scored. They ended up losing 5-4. So I looked it up on the media site, and I saw that they had scored. So the way you can look it up on the media site or the NHL site is goals by strength. So if you were to say, like, how many empty net, how, how many goals has a team scored with their net empty? You would say, all right, let's look at six on five goals four. That's one way to do it. The problem is that if you score on a delayed penalty, which is way different than if you're down late in a game and you've pulled the goalie, it also counts as a six on five goal. You can also score a six on four goal with the goalie pulled, which the Lightning have done in Detroit earlier this year. So I was like, how am I going to determine how many of these goals are actually scored late in a game when the team is down? So the league did what they could. They wrote back Bernsey, and then I had a follow-up question about it because some of the numbers they gave didn't jive with what I was seeing on the media site. But, but here is the bottom line. The league has only been tracking extra attacker goals since the 2010-2011 season. In that time, two teams have scored 13 in a season. Philadelphia in 16-17, Toronto in 15-16. Minnesota this year has has matched that with 13. They've played 38 games. They've scored 13 goals when their goalie has been on the bench. Now, in the last couple of years, the league has accounted for delayed penalty goals. So I don't know in those Philly-Toronto years how many of those 13 were like a delayed penalty and they scored. It might have been one. It might have been zero. It might have been three. Minnesota scored one. So even if we account for the one that didn't come late in the game, they've scored 12 goals. 12 in 38 games with the goalie on the bench. And and making Incredible. it even more remarkable, at least to me, they've only allowed seven empty netters. When they have been down in a game and they've pulled the goalie, they have scored almost twice as many goals as they have allowed. That is incredible. Now, the Lightning are not far behind. The Lightning this year are second. They have scored nine, two on a delayed penalty, and seven when they've been down in a game. But you're like, this, this is changing. And I think we had Derek Lalonde on a show earlier, Greg, and we asked him about it. And what he said was, Coaches are getting way more aggressive about pulling the goalie earlier. We see John Cooper do it. Certainly Dean Evason does it in Minnesota. So you've got a team in the wild. They've done it a lot. They've had a lot of success. That gives you confidence. And they have a really aggressive coach. But, I mean, look, they could go the rest of the way and not be in a position to have to score another sixth attacker or extra attacker goal. Or maybe they're going to try and they they don't get another one. But... Like, they are on pace to just obliterate this mark. So those are my three topics. I don't know if you have any strong thoughts about any of them, but I thought the the extra attacker one, like, that is a game changer in terms of how, how coaches approach this situation, and it changes the dynamic for the team that's protecting the lead, too. Because now you don't only have to go like a minute or 90 seconds or even two minutes. You might have to go like five, six minutes. Well, and you know what that does? It it gives you a better matchup if you're a team who pulls the goaltender. In other words, yeah. you could be out there with the other team's first line who's not used to being hemmed in their own zone and trying to get the puck out. You know, typically with about a minute to go, the team who is defending 
can almost get their quote-unquote PK unit out there. Guys who are going to block shots, take face-offs, right. are, are kind of your grinders that are used to that situation. You pull your goaltender three and a half, four minutes to go, you may get a, a first line out there who's maybe looking to score rather than get the puck out. And again, they, these are just these are just opinions. I, I I don't know. We'd have to go back and look at the game. The other thing too is it'd be interesting to see who is producing a lot of those points for Minnesota mm-hmm. with the extra attacker. Is it is it one or two guys that are generating most of that offense? Has it been a variety of guys? And the other thing too with that, at some point that seems to me to be a little bit more luck as well. I mean that's a lot of goals. So you would think that average starts to come down or it it spreads out to the point where you're not going to see them score as many times with the extra attacker from here on out because that's see, a lot of goals. Maybe some of it is luck, but I also think if you're having that much success, that helps. That helps you play with swag. You're less. I think hesitant. it does. I just I don't think it's, it's kind of like a power play, right? I, yeah, I, and I, I don't think it's realistic though to 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 assume, and I'm not saying you are, but to assume that level of success is going to keep up if yeah. you do that. And maybe the two-to-one ratio or almost two-to-one ratio can't be maintained, but they are certainly on pace. I mean, also I mean, they basically me... tied the mark in less than half a season. Well, Dave, how many games have they won in overtime? Because they are – you look at their record, it's pretty impressive. I mean, they're the first wild card in the West, and their record right now is 25-10-3, which tells me are they tying the game up in regulation and then either winning it at the end of regulation or winning it in overtime. Yeah. Because well, I think a lot of these games are going to overtime. Yeah, so I mean that that's because they've got a plus 34 goal differential, which is that's pretty pretty decent. I mean, take a look at some yeah. of the other teams with that. So that that is interesting. I'm not sure what to make of it outside of uh, they're down a lot. If they're pulling their goaltender sooner, maybe they're getting some favorable matchups. And I, I would also like to see their point producers during that time. Who is right? Well, clearly is, they in the in the games against the Lightning and Panthers, they got multiple goals. Yeah, those are individual games, so it's not like one goal per game. They had some games where they scored multiple goals with the extra attacker out on the ice, as have the Lightning. Yeah, the Lightning scored four of these in the first two games of the year. Pretty incredible. They lost to Pittsburgh, but they. They rallied and beat Detroit because they I were able to score two extra attacker goals. I'm more inclined to believe that you're getting a better matchup when you're pulling the goaltender sooner, mm-hmm. and maybe that causes a little bit more confusion on the team defending. That would be my best guess. In terms yeah. of the games the Lightning have been playing. Yeah, the lopsided. What do you the make of that? Ones, the only thing I can think of that comes to mind, and... It doesn't necessarily excuse why the Lightning are scoring as many goals as they have during this time, but I would think some of this might be COVID-related. The players are missing from certain lineups that are causing maybe a bigger deal defending than than we're giving credit. I mean, and again, I have to go back and see exactly how many games has Chernak been out, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's a big blow to the Lightning's back end. We've also seen McDonough out. We've seen Ruta out. Pilot out. Is there is there a correlation between lopsided games where the Lightning come on the, the short end of the stick where defensively they've had some breakdowns and it might be because their back end is, is, is a little bit more thin than normal? 
in terms of when they've defeated the opponents, I mean, we'd have to go. Was Columbus facing a, a pretty significant yeah, they lineup didn't have, shuffle? They didn't have Orensky, and Buffalo was missing some players. But then right after the Lightning hammered Buffalo, Buffalo went to Nashville and won. So, And some of that might be they got hammered and you know yeah. pr pride set in. I mean, my guess is, Dave, that it, it we might have to go back to each individual game and see how the teams were affected with who has been in the lineup and who wasn't related to COVID. That's the only thing I can think of. Because to your point, at this point in the season, guys should be tightening things up. That being said, we've been dealing with COVID all year. Guys in yeah. and out of the lineup. So maybe this is just a product of teams not having their full team for uh, 35, 40 games, and we're seeing still some inconsistent play. Maybe the 17 one-goal games in the first 33 was the unusual stat. Yeah, that could be the, it. That could be it. The I mean, non-close games in the last 10. I mean, let's face it. There have been times where teams have had, if the game wasn't postponed, maybe they had five regulars out. And depending on who those regulars were, that's pretty significant. I mean, can anybody give you a good a good synopsis of Vancouver this year without at least looking at it and saying, boy, they really have been hard by COVID. I, I don't know if I really have a good feel for the Canucks this year. I mean, that, that might just be one of these years where you really don't know what you have game in and game out because either guys have missed a lot of time because of COVID protocol, and then once they do get back in the lineup, other guys are missing, and it takes them a while maybe to get in shape. Mm -hmm. Now, some people may, may say they disagree with it. That's fine. But if you're asking me why we're seeing these lopsided scores, I, I think it's because of the inconsistencies when it comes to the lineup because of COVID protocol. That's fair. And then outside of that, I, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. We'll just have to see if it, if it continues. And, of course, the Lightning are not going to have a huge sample size of games to, to break down in the next several weeks. Six, basically, in the next what four weeks or so yeah and you know the, the funny thing is it's it's probably another compliment to the lightning because of how they've won games this year and how yeah. many guys have been out of the lineup that they've found ways to munch points i think we're all looking at this and saying i think once they do get their full lineup intact maybe for a team like that who's been together for a while it'll be a little bit easier for them to get into sync and tighten things up defensively more so than we've seen so far this year and, and at times they've been very good but I actually was looking at this season with with the breaks in the schedule Dave and with the protocols in place and guys missing games I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the regular season and maybe this trickles into the playoffs if we happen to see more goals per game than we have in recent years you know, I think yeah, that's it'd be easy. That's easy to check, though. Unlike the, the pulling the goalie to yes. score late in the game, which is incredibly difficult to try and that is a hard pinpoint based on the stats as they are currently constructed. Average goals scored per game is a fairly straightforward number, and you can look not only at the top teams but also kind of the the median, if you will, and and see where where is team number 15 what is, what is their what is their goal output you can get a sense from year to year whether it's gone up or down right we've certainly seen some crooked scores though throughout the year and maybe that's to be expected teams are scoring seven goals in a game like three four five times it's a weird and i also think too 
some of the teams that are at the bottom might be a bit worse than we thought. And like Arizona stinks. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, they, they get blasted pretty good last night. I mean, we have seen, you know, a team like Montreal without Carey Price, and they've had some goaltender issues. Ottawa is a team that I think plays hard, but they give up some goals. By the way, did you see Batherson is out with a high ankle sprain? Yeah, he, he took got a hit from the goaltender, right? The goalie, yeah. The goalie's going to get a call from the league. I think I saw that. Yeah. Aaron so Dell. And he made the all-star team, correct? So he's they're going to have to replace him. Batherson, yeah. Yes. So they'll have to replace him with somebody. Yeah. Um, I did see that. That was cheap. <laughs> yeah, it was... You it was like, cheap. I mean, you, I saw the I saw the highlight. You don't when you're a forechecking forward and you were nowhere near the crease. He was not near the crease. He was going behind the net to pursue the defenseman. You're not expecting to get picked by the goalie. Should Nor the goal, should you. Should the goaltender to get picked by the goalie? Should the goaltender be fair game for somebody to go after him in that moment? Well, look, if the goalie steps out of the crease, and and when I say runs interference, I'm not saying that he's trying to interfere, but he's basically saying to the forechecking forward, skate around me, and the forward doesn't and just, like, bowls him over, he's going to get a penalty. The forward's going to get a penalty. That's not what happened here. Yeah. I, the, goalie, think, the goalie got in the way, like, basically clipped. Was that Dell, right? The Ottawa player, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what his thought process was there outside of just blatantly getting involved. By the way, Tyler. Yeah, that's why he's getting a game. call from the league, I think. Yeah, Matt Murray got another another win. He seems to maybe found his stride a little bit here the last three games or so. And Tyler Ennis, hat-trick. Mm-hmm. hat-trick. Guy's 5'9". Yeah. That means he's probably 5'6". Good for him. Against his former team. One of them, goals. anyway. 140 goals for that guy, Dave, in his career. He's probably 5'7". He has high fantasy value. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if that's the case. Well, Nick. But when we talk to Nick, we'll we talk can to Nick. hear his thoughts we about will. Tyler Ennis and we the will. Ottawa we'll Senators. Do. They we'll, can we'll. score. They play hard. They play hard. Yeah. There's no doubt. They need to uh, – again, that came down to Matt Murray. And obviously they have some maybe defensive issues, but I didn't think they – they didn't think their goaltending was going to be as bad as it was to start. Matt Murray has given them a chance to win since he's come back. And I don't think it's coincidence they've they've looked a lot better. But, you know, whatever. Uh, before we go to break, don't forget, again, join the Lightning and the USF Bulls for a free car wash at the Bubble Down. North Nebraska from 1130 to 1. So you still have uh, a few minutes to get down there and check it out. That is Bubble Down. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Versick is our producer. We will get to Nick Alberga when we return on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. We came out of San Jose really happy with our game after not being happy with our game. And, and a lot of times as a coaching staff, you want to keep that going. So you'd really like to keep it rolling every second night almost because you got a good feel. Um, you hate to kind of leave that and have four or five days separating you from that game because you kind of, you know, you forget what you did sometimes. So it's our job to remind them of that uh, through video, through practice. That's going to be the challenge coming up here because, you know, we'll, after Tuesday, you know, we're going to have some time off. We'll play three games and we're going to have some time off. And then we're going to go into a stretch of games where it's like almost every second night uh, through March. So um, I would say just 
our job is as coaching staff, reminding them of the process, reminding them of the structure. I keep saying it, but uh, when we're in that mindset, in that mode, uh, we're really good. And uh, we just got to make sure we stay on top of it that way. All right, that's Rob Zettler earlier today. Greg Linelli with you, along with Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick producing. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. We go till 1 o'clock. Lightning take on the Devils tomorrow night. Joining us right now, good friend of the program, fantasy hockey analyst at Sportsnet, also co-host of the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast, and uh, knows the NHL as well as anybody. Let's welcome back to the program Nick Alberga. Nick, great to be with you, buddy. And, you know, Mish and I were talking about fantasy hockey, but just fantasy sports in general, how big it's been over the last five, ten years. How big has the fantasy hockey uh, taken off, and how big has it been over the last few years? Well, it's definitely getting there, and and great to be back with you guys. I think certainly in the United States, like, you know, daily fantasy and betting and all that is becoming really, really big, as you know, and people love to make money. Uh, So at the end of the day, that's the most important part. Uh, But from a fantasy perspective, yeah, it's been booming for the last couple of years, and I think it'll only get bigger with uh, everything the NHL is getting involved uh, with from a betting point of view. So I'm just wondering, Nick, because teams sometimes have had to adjust when they get a player who pops a positive COVID test and all of a sudden he's out of the lineup maybe the morning of a game. Not that this is nearly as important. I'm just wondering for for people who play fantasy and are really invested in this, like have these positive COVID tests kind of thrown a monkey wrench in, in how people have gone about constructing their lineups? Or it doesn't really work that way. You have enough time to make adjustments once you get the news. No, Mish. It's been this fantasy season's been an absolute disaster. I can't sugarcoat it. Like it's it's been so impossible, so unpredictable. We all thought we were past it clearly last year and last fantasy season spoke for itself. And luckily it was a shortened season, but this time around, it's been a nightmare. You know, most leagues have, you know, a certain number of IR spots designated. And obviously with, with complete teams going out of the lineup, it, it, it just, uh, you pretty much can't do anything. You just got to live with it. Um, the fact that I think the majority of teams are, are past the worst of it, uh, we'll say, but unequivocally, it, it, it's been, uh, you know, a disaster to get through all the COVID this season, that's for sure. Well, because of that, Nick, we were talking about this in the previous segment, too, that, you know, early on the first 33 games for the Lightning, at least, you know, they were there weren't as many lopsided games as we've seen from game 34 on. And I'm wondering for you, are you seeing any trends uh, developing in the NHL right now in terms of maybe more high scoring games? Are we seeing you know, a lack of uh, PK, more power play opportunities. Is there anything that's starting to stick out for you that might be the cause of the COVID protocols and the inconsistent lineups we're seeing? Did we lose Nick? It was such a great question. You I was going to say, speechless. did I did I leave him speechless? I mean, look, <laughs> you guys Dave, I, are you, you got us. <laughs> yeah. You got us. That was quite a uh, dramatic pause there, Nick. That was a dramatic. Uh, Jim Rome here, I thought we were talking <laughs> I was uh, trying to figure out how to uh, respond to that. Um, you know, I, I think in general, uh, Greg, it's it's been tough to quantify. It's you know, it's been really really difficult to handicap this league. I you know, I was perplexed and not really stunned, but the numbers that came out a couple weeks ago about how many goalies have played, how many players have played, like it's over a thousand, and it's only it's only January. Like it just speaks to 
um, at times how watered down these rosters truly have been. And, and not to forget the fact that there's a 32nd team in this league this year in the form of the Seattle Kraken, right? And um, I, I think it, it, it makes it even that much more difficult uh, from a betting point of view, from a DFS point of view, from a fantasy point of view, uh, to try to figure out teams. And that's why I think there have there hasn't really been concrete trends outside of the fact that I think when a third or fourth string goaltender is playing, and you guys have seen it certainly in Tampa, if you know what I'm saying, when somebody like that is playing, I think you have to you have to lean towards the over. Like a perfect example would be the New Jersey Devils, and uh, their first and second goalies are out right now, and you know you know they got a guy who really shouldn't be in this league playing, and and so the over's been hitting a lot. Like that's certainly one of the trends I've been seeing is. Uh, we're we're getting a lot of goaltenders playing in this league this year that shouldn't be in the NHL, and so the the overs are hitting. I'll say that. Greg and I were talking about this hypothetical yesterday. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, Nick. If you were starting a team from scratch and you had the option of picking an elite forward, an elite defenseman, or an elite goalie to start your franchise, understanding that you couldn't get more than one, would there be a position that you would prioritize to make that first pick? It has to be goaltending. Like I, I think in this day and age, like it's so hard to find that bona fide number one. And certainly, I think clearly, guys, we are trending towards a tandem league. Most teams employ some sort of tandem, notwithstanding teams, of course, like Tampa. So, to answer your question, I think defense, um, you know, and goaltending win championships. Uh, you know, for everything that Tampa's had the last couple of years offensively. They're not winning squat without Andre Vasilevsky or even a Victor Hedman. So that's probably where I would elect to go because I think if you look hard enough, you can find goal scoring in this league. It's harder to find, you know, the perennial closer the way Vasilevsky has been or a guy like Hedman too. Yeah, we were bouncing that around. It's it's interesting when you take a look over the years. I think elite goaltenders can elevate a really good team. But mm-hmm. you don't find too many instances, Nick, where an elite goaltender pushes an average team over the top. You know, maybe Montreal to a lesser extent last year. But yeah. as I told Dave, Montreal in a normal season probably doesn't make the playoffs when you take a look at the points percentage and where they were. We've seen some decent teams be elevated by an elite goaltender, but very rarely do you win a cup that way. You do need a a, a really good team to surround that elite goaltender, I think. Well, you got to build. Like, that's the big word, right? And I think you guys know it certainly in Tampa. I said Tampa, but where do they get the majority of these guys? Through the draft. Like, I, I think it's really undersold how excellent that franchise has been at drafting and, and maturing prospects over, say, the last decade, 15 years. Because I, I think it, it goes into being a successful organization in this league is having you know, the ability to, to, to not only find these prospects, but to mature them. Uh, so I think you're totally right. Uh, but I think if you were to ask me again, I, I would have to start with that because if you can't keep the puck out of the net, you ain't winning squat. Just look at the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers who can't get a save. And I think until they find a guy who can make a save routinely, uh, a la what Mike Smith may have done last year, I think they're in, they're, they're in some deep trouble here. For what it's worth, Nick, I said goaltender as well. I think Greg is just trying to stir the pot a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> why would I actually? I I agreed with him on that front as well. That like the opposite, if that's the right way of putting it, is also true. That there have been a lot of teams that have gotten adequate, sufficient goaltending that have gone on to win the Stanley Cup because the team in front of that goaltender 
was was championship caliber. But I like the fact that the goalie can be the great eraser and can keep you in games right off the bat. And I would take the goalie and kind of kind of go on from there. I wanted to ask you about kind of league wide where you see the second half going in the West, because in the Mm -hmm. East, I think it's fairly clear there's a break between the top eight and the bottom eight. And barring something really weird happening, it looks like the die has been cast there as far as which teams are getting in the playoffs. The West is murkier for sure. Where do you see some of the teams that are close to that cut line, above it or below it? How do you see things shaking out? Like which teams do you think are are likely to kind of hang in there or elevate? And which teams do you see falling off as kind of reality sets in? in the second half based in in part two on, on how busy their schedule may be. Yeah. And it's funny you talk about the East. I totally agree, but just don't tell that to New York Islanders fans who think they still have a legitimate yeah, shot at the playoffs. They have it, the games, they have the games yeah. to make it up, but it's a challenge for sure. It's, it's not happening, man. Uh, same for, for Winnipeg in the Western conference. I think it's going to be really, really tough for, for, for Winnipeg to get back in the conversation, just everything they've dealt with. But I think, firstly, you look at the Central Division. I think, clearly, Colorado's a perennial contender for the Cup. I think St. Louis is is as well. And, quite frankly, Nashville's a team that's really, really surprised me. But I think they're legit. And, again, to, to bring the conversation full circle, UC Soros, right? Goaltending is so pivotal. They have outstanding goaltending that's not spoken a, a, about enough. And then they're back end. They have Roman Yossi, who's going to be, again, in the Norris conversation. The playoffs. Over in the Pacific, it gets a bit more interesting, and I would throw Minnesota, too, into that combo in the Central. I think they'll find a way to get in the top three there in the Central. So let's include Minnesota in the conversation, too. Um, and I think, you know, I think Dallas will be a team that sniffs around, but I think they're going to be vying with, you know, teams like Calgary and the Edmonton Oilers and maybe Winnipeg if they can get back into this conversation. So I'm sort of lukewarm on Dallas. Um, as for the Pacific... I think Vegas is a shoe in I think clearly they make it. Um, Jack Eichel, very curious to see how that happens and, and what happens when he comes back to that line if it makes his debut. And he could potentially put Vegas over the top. But then after that in the Pacific. It's another dramatic pause. Mm-hmm. He had me He had me on the edge there waiting to hear what he was going to say. Because you have the three California teams that are certainly in the mix. But yeah. we saw three way different performances from those three teams in the Lightning were just out in California. And I'm kind of bullish on Calgary. I, I think they have a really good team. But where are we, Steve? Or did we lose the connection there? Steve might be efforting to get him back. Okay. We're, we're back. here. We're here, guys. Yeah, okay. we Go lost it. Right when you said beyond Vegas and then we were waiting to hear – your pearls of wisdom. Your, your, bookie, gotcha. your bookie was after you. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Sorry, boy. It's been a tough connection today. Um, yeah, a- after Vegas, like, it's your guess is as good as mine as to who's going to stick there in the Pacific. I don't know how much I believe in Anaheim or Los Angeles, respectively. Um, I-, I-, I like Calgary quite a bit. I know they're on the outside looking in, but they have Jacob Markstrom in between the pipes. Johnny Goodrow, Matthew Kachuk are having outstanding seasons. Elias Lindholm's been great up the middle for them. So, I think Calgary finds a way in. I think Edmonton, if they can find a goaltender as well, finds a way in. But uh, you're right. Outside of maybe those four or five teams there in the Western Conference, I think it's wide open, so might as well go for it, guys. 
You know, when you take a look at the East, Nick, we're here with Nick Alberga here on Lightning Power Play. When you take a look at the East and the top six teams, let's exclude the, the two wild cards, it feels like every one of those teams has a legit shot to make a deep run in the playoffs. Is there some team there that maybe you're not completely sold on? And how deep is the East? It's really deep, right? Like, I, you know, and, you know, to answer your question, like, that's that's a tough one. Like, maybe it's Boston. I know they've been playing much better as of late, but, like, Tuka Rask hasn't looked good. Linus Allmark, what can you expect from him? I still think Boston really, really misses Tory Krug, and maybe they find somebody, uh, you know, to assume that position between now and the deadline. I know they've been linked to a name like Jacob Chikrin, but they're another team that's right up against it uh, from a salary cap point of view. So, I would say Boston answer your question, and I'll throw the Washington Capitals into the conversation as well. Um, I think they've been really, really disappointing this season, even though they're in a playoff spot. And a big reason why, guys, is because they just can't get healthy. COVID's been you know, ravaged up and down that roster, injuries as well. And you want to talk about teams that are a wild card, maybe for Marc-Andre Fleury. I would put, funny enough, uh, because he's been a rival of them for so many years, uh, I think the Capitals are in that conversation because I think um, both Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov have struggled to find consistency all season long. So I think of the eight teams in a playoff spot right now in the East, I would say the two teams I really, really wonder about outside of the obvious with teams like Toronto and Florida uh, are Boston and Washington, respectively. What do you think about the trade deadline and how busy or not busy it's going to be, and it's a ways down the road. We're talking, what, the yeah. third week in March because we thought we were going to have an Olympic break, and so everything got pushed back a little bit. But I guess on the one hand, it looks like we may have some teams that are definitely going to be out, so we may have more sellers than maybe normal. But on the other hand, a lot of teams are really pushed up against the cap and may not have, including the Lightning, may not have a lot of flexibility to make moves even if they want to make moves. What do you think we're going to see this year? Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you know, I, I think, you know, as you guys know, I love trades, but I just think they're they're in this current climate, they're, so, they're just so difficult to make. And I know the cap's expected to go up following this season, but it just puts teams in a tough place. Now, obviously, there's some names out there to watch, namely Jacob Chikrin of the Arizona Coyotes, who they want to haul for. And I think potentially they could get it between now and March 21st. Um, I, I think the writing is on the wall for John Klingberg in Dallas, although... I think that's a difficult deal to make. Uh, you know, number one right now, he's banged up. And number two, Dallas is back at a playoff spot after going 4-0 on their latest road trip. Uh, so that throws a wrench into the conversation when you feel and think you're a playoff team. And yeah, we're going to trade one of our top defensemen. So I'm not as bullish on the Klingberg front. I think there's the obvious sellers, guys. Like, you know, Montreal will be a big-time player between now and the deadline. Uh, ben Sherratt's probably their biggest piece uh, in terms of UFA, so look for him to go. Then there's a guy like Jake DeBrusque who's requested a trade, but Boston's another example. They want somebody who can help them out right now. And then outside of that, you're looking at teams like Arizona, right? And I don't want to call them scraps on that roster, but guys who are playing above where they should be playing in normal lineups. So I start to wonder about the value of guys like Phil Kessel and those types. But Every year, there's always the one or two names that we don't expect that's out there um, that could be moved. And maybe a prime example of that is a guy you know well in Tampa is now in Vancouver, and JT Miller always seems to be on the trade market, guys. I've seen Vlad Nemestikov by one publication be linked to Tampa Bay as somebody that can Ooh. come in and provide some depth. Nick, what do you make of the Lightning just in general? Uh, probably not surprised that they're in the position they're in, but they continue to 
munch points, even with uh, big-time pieces out of the lineup. Do you think, assuming they have the cap space, do you think they do anything? Should they do anything? What do you make of the Lightning right now? Well, number one, I think, you know, for a team that's won back-to-back Stanley Cups, I can't believe how disrespected Tampa truly is. Like, we're all giving the cup, I guess, to the Florida Panthers this season with Sergey Bobrovsky in between the pipes. But, you know, I was I was telling a friend a couple weeks back, I, I think it's it's hilarious, and, and I'm taking nothing away from the Panthers. They've had an incredible season, guys. But the funny part about that is that, hey, look at us in the standings. Oh, hey, Tampa, you're right there, and half your roster has missed a good majority of this season. I know it's not going to happen, but John Cooper should be involved in the Jack Adams conversation. Uh, He's done an unbelievable job, Point Kucherov. Um, You know, that's why Vasilevsky, in my opinion, should be involved in the Vesna conversation. He very well should be, for sure. Hedman as well with the Norris. Just so many guys seem to elevate their play. Even when everybody wondered about the third line, well, they lost their entire third line. Guys like Ross Colton and Matthew Joseph and guys of that ilk and Corey Perry's had a great year. It just seems like Tampa knows how to get the best out of their players. Um, And and so certainly I really like them. Uh, You know, as for your question about the deadline, I I don't know if I expect much from Tampa. I honestly feel like this roster right now could win uh, the way it's currently constructed. I think if you were to pin me, I would – Probably say you could never go wrong with adding a depth defenseman, maybe a depth forward, but it all depends on cap, right, Greg? Capologists, you need them. Mm. Everyone needs them today, especially with the cap and how it's not been elevated because of uh, revenues being depleted everywhere. How, mm. Before we let you go, what, what's the latest there up north? Are they, are they allowing fans in the building? Is it is it full capacity, half capacity? What's What's going on? Yeah, it's been tough. Like, honestly, you know how much hockey I watch and the fact that I watch a game in the States. It's a packed barn. People are drinking beers, having popcorn. It's great. You know, same old life. Uh, in Canada, it's been a lot different. Um, you know, depending on province, uh, that depends on how many people you can have in a building. I know in Alberta, uh, in BC, too, they could have up to, I believe, 10,000, whereas in Ontario, I live near Toronto or in Toronto, I should say. Uh, they're not allowed anybody. Ditto for Ottawa, ditto for, for the Montreal Canadiens. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens here over the next couple of weeks. We're sort of in lockdown right now. We're supposed to open back up a bit on Monday, and they're going in stages, three-week increments. So I would say by mid to late February, guys, and maybe don't quote me on this, I think uh, you'll start to see more fans in the building in general in Canada. Yeah. And I would wager to guess by mid-March or maybe early March, we're back to uh, full steam as we were earlier this season. All right. Well, let's let's hope so. And uh, better than nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, buddy, keep doing what you're doing. Keep breaking it all down. Uh, and uh, the fantasy hockey. Why don't you give uh, where you are a, a little bit of a plug so people can check you out? Yep. So the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and YouTube as well. It's yours truly and Pete Jensen. We have two episodes a week. And yeah, we just offer all the fantasy advice you could wonder and think about in the world. And we're actually headed to Vegas next week, All-Star Weekend. So come come see us if you're at All-Star. We'll be at the Fan Fair doing some podcasts there. All right, great. Maybe we'll get you on during that time as well. Kind of check in. with. Assuming, you're, assuming we can find you. You're up, you're up there. You'll be in <laughs> Vegas. Look out, man. Look out. <laughs> All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for Nick. hopping on. Thanks, guys. Have a great you got day. It. Nick Alberga joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Check out his work. Uh, we had mentioned the D pairings, but for those just checking, at least Joe Smith had these. Dave Hedman and Foot, McDonough, Sergachev, Clayson, and Ruta. 
Yeah, so How let's that, see huh? if they keep foot with Hedman. They played together on the California trip, including yep. that game in L.A. where they only had 4-D. And McDonough played with Sergachev throughout the trip, too. But now that Ruda is back and he has kind of been linked with Hedman, pretty much when Ruda has been healthy and able to play, he's with Hedman. So we'll see if they switch that up to, to see how foot continues to do with Hedman. I think playing with Hedman. I think he's done well. You know, one, one of the. Um, Talking about foot. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think when you talk about the greatness, and that, that word gets thrown around maybe too much in today's sports, but. When you talk about how efficient and how good Ryan McDonough has been for the Lightning, Dave, a big part of that, too, is what he has been able to do with Eric Chernak. And I'm not saying it's it's the sole reason Chernak has turned into one of the best defensemen on this team, at least. And I think you can make a case Eric Chernak is in the upper echelon of defensemen, defensive defensemen in the league. I mean, it, playing with a guy like Ryan McDonough has to help. It has to help. Mm-hmm. And look, Jan Rutz, the same thing with Victor Hedman. Jan Rutz was a little older coming over from Chicago. Didn't have a lot of NHL experience, Dave. You throw him with Victor Hedman, it's not always easy, but I, I think sometimes playing with a great player can bring out the best in you. And for Ruta and Chernak, let's face it, since they've been members of the Tampa Bay Lightning, for the most part, when, when they have started to win cups, those guys have been top four defensemen. Yeah, I agree. It's a compliment to Hedman and McDonough, yeah. I, I think, too. And, and those guys have certainly gotten better, which has been a lot of fun. So uh, something to keep an eye on tomorrow. We'll get into the Devils a little bit more as well. Yeah, as as Nick was saying, they're having some goalie issues in terms of available players. I know that they're coming off a couple of home losses. They lost to the Kings, and they got hammered yeah. by Dallas last night. Dallas's road woes. They seem to have turned that around, as Nick mentioned. They went 4-0 and on a road trip, and they were scoring. They're scoring some goals. That was a battle on between the, the oldest team in the league and the youngest team in the league. Devils are the youngest team in the league, average age-wise. Now, is that it. based on who they had in the lineup last night or just their team overall? Whatever I read in the article. <laughs> okay. So it might have been it might have been for that game. I mean, it might have been either way. It might have been for that game, but I think it gave you yeah. an indication of kind of where Jersey is a bit. And I mean, know, maybe who would be their oldest player? Subban, maybe. I'm trying to think who else they have on their what team it, that's Severson? been around for a while. Severson now on the back end. Right? Severson's younger than than Subban. Than Subban, though. correct. Um, they have Faust, right? But he's I don't think he's. We will. We'll look we that. will uh, circle we'll, back to this tomorrow. We'll dive after I've into done a little, it. Yes, after I've done a little game prep for Lightning and Devils, who the Lightning owe a little payback to the Devils yeah. for that earlier game in Amelie. We'll see how that plays out. Blew we'll a 3-1 lead out. and lost yeah. 5-3 in the third. Interesting game with the Vegas game coming up Saturday. You know, you don't want to overlook the Devils. Yeah, we'll they had a long winning streak come to an end. Road winning streak, I should yeah. say, come to an end. They lost in overtime in Carolina last night. Sounds like it was a pretty good game. We'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah, talk Break to it tomorrow. all down, noon to one. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to Nick Alberga. I am Greg Lanella. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.